Welcome to the Get to Vet podcast, where we bridge the knowledge gaps in the military transition process so you can focus on what's ahead. Hey, Get to Vet listeners, this is Mike. And now for my personal disclaimer, although I am active duty military, I'm not an official spokesperson of the United States Navy. Any of my views expressed on the Get the Vet podcast are based on my personal experience. Thanks for listening. Hello there, Get the Vet listeners. This is Trevor Maxwell. And with me as always is the beautiful, uh, wise, super handsome. uh, (laughs) take, Take it away, Mike. <laughs> Mike Riggs. Yep. And, and with us today we have Natalie Oliverio. Yep. Yep. Hey, so Natalie, uh I'll, I'll I'll say something real quick about her. Like I've, you know, she and I have talked a couple times, but uh she has a great organization that, you know, Mike and I were looking at it and we're like, hey, that's an awesome resource that people uh should really know about. So Natalie, thanks for coming on the show and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Trevor. Hey, Mike. Thank you so much for having me today. Yes, I am Natalie Oliverio. I'm the founder of Military Talent Partners, where we basically just make the magic happen. We pair the power of mentorship with full lifecycle recruiting. So companies all across the country hire us to help them hire veterans and military spouses. And the secret sauce to how we do that is through mentorship through understanding where veterans and spouses or transitioning service members are coming from, finding their next purpose, finding where they belong and what's important to them. And then holistically uh, on a very personalized approach, we connect them to the career that they're really looking for, not just what they can get, not just what's available, but the absolute right fit. So that six to 12 months later, they're not back on the hamster wheel starting from scratch. And that's, that's pretty interesting too, because one thing that happens with a lot of, you know, veterans after they get out, they might go out and get a job somewhere. A lot of times they'll just say, well, you know, I just, I need to make money. I'll, I'll start worrying about finding my dream job afterwards. Um, If you're like me and you know that my military service was my dream job. Um, but, But, you know, there's, there's a pretty good chance that there's, there's some career turnover in there. And, and that's something that veterans aren't really used to because yeah, you switch jobs in the military, but you were still always in the military. So I, I think that's, that's pretty interesting. What, what led you to coming up with the, the whole concept for military talent partners? Yeah, <clears throat> that's a great question. And a, and a really interesting story. I think uh, after my military transition, I had a really hard time. And I finally found what I really love to do by way of career and and became corporate executive recruiter and did that for for more than a decade. But in every position, you know, I kind of outgrew it. I outgrew it by way of not really rising to my potential because it didn't really, that, that advancement or creation of doing more, doing bigger things really didn't exist in any specific role or company, then there were times when, you know, I unexpectedly lost my job. My entire team was let go due to uh, reduction in force. And, you know, it put me right back to military transition. I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't have a purpose. I felt like a, a piece of my identity that was really important to me was gone. And um, I had to start over just like I did when I, when I left the Navy. So. Um, that has always been really dear to me. I empathize and meet people right where they are through their transition because I've been there more than once. So playing beneath my potential led me to find something else to fulfill me. And that was mentorship. I started volunteering as a mentor more than 40 hours a week, having a 40 hour a week job, a young baby, a husband, a robust social life. I was that in love with it, that committed to it. And I knew if I was going to really be happy and do what I wanted to do without asking for permission and always hearing no, I was going to have to go out on my own. And uh, that is how Military Talent Partners came to be. So let, let's back up just a little bit back in the timeline, because like you're a fellow mountaineer as Trevor and I, yep. 
and I joined the Navy to get direction to find to, for them to tell me where to go. And as I'm winding down the, the, the 30 year career right now, I'm coming up to, it's not a fork in the road. There's like a, a whole bunch of forks in the road and they're going all kinds of different directions. And I'm finding that the unknown right now is, is pretty common with especially my peers and, and not knowing really what's out there. And, and then, you know, am I the square peg going in the round hole or vice versa? You know, it's, it's where, where do we fit in? Because I think after so many years, we feel like we've been somewhat institutionalized. And I think I've said it before, but, you know, if it's not on the Fortune 500 ticker, I don't really know where that corporation is. I don't know where they fit in in the market. You know, I don't know where, what niche industries are out there. I don't know where I fit in within that niche industry, you know, so I think that's a key part where, where you, where you come in at, but where, where did you, what, what brought you in to the Navy to begin with? And then, you know, how how did you, how did you start that path? Oh, Mike. (laughs) Well, as a fellow Mountaineer, I'm sure you can appreciate just how fun WV really is. And so my first swing at it out of high school, I had a really good time. I didn't learn very much because I rarely went to class. And long story short, I basically just withdrew before they put me on academic probation and never let me come back. Uh, So my parents were just so disappointed. And I moved back home and all of these recruiters were, were after my younger brother. And I, you know, got on the phone with one of them and they're like, oh, what are you going to, what were you uh, doing in school? And I'm like, well, I want to be a journalist. And they're like, you don't have to go to school for that. You could be a journalist in the Navy. You could come and do it right now. You could skip school. And I was hook, align, and sinker. Literally started going to the gym twice a day, every day, eating nothing but chicken and broccoli, trying to really beef up and get really fit before boot camp because I was terrified of it. And no one in my life believed that I was going to go enlist in the Navy until my recruiter showed up to take me to MEPS. And my dad like broke down into tears because he realized that I was serious and they weren't really prepared. They thought I was just trying to buy time, shut them up, get out of that. You just failed at a WVU. Uh, But let me tell you, every day for the first two weeks, I'm pretty sure I shed at least one tear out of like just fear and anxiety, uh, which really sets up the tone for who I am now. I always think that I can't do it right before I crush it. Every day of boot camp or every day of the military post 9-11, you think like, oh my God, tomorrow's going to be so hard. I can't do this. Like, I'm not going to make it. But then you make it and you more than make it. And that's what you have to keep in mind when you come to your military transition, because it's not about going from a job to another job. It's about leaving an entire lifestyle where your identity is shaped for you your expectations are rolled out like a red carpet and everyone knows how to behave around you and how to address you and how to speak to you. When you transition into the civilian world and you become a veteran and you enter corporate and like me decide to go back to WVU, but actually go to class this time and graduate, which was definitely a defining moment. uh, Stop burning couches, maybe. Maybe. I maybe. definitely did not burn any couches. I won't say that I didn't burn anything, but it wasn't a couch. <laughs> uh, nor did I flip a car because I just don't possess that kind of upper body strength. However. Are you sure you went to uh, WVU? <laughs> I know. I'm just so innocent, Trevor. I know you believe it. They got they um, got smart and tore up all those houses on Suncrest where all the, the fires were and built some nice new listen, buildings Suncrest there. Is- so it's so nice now. It's like hard to believe that like <laughs> people don't believe what it used to be at yeah. all. But like when I was there, it was like the number one party school in America. It was like on Playboy's like top three every single year. It was like for decades, decades, I mean, epic, epic, epic fun because West Virginia is beautiful as you well know. And there's so much to do here unless you're a college student. And you're away from your parents for the first time, because then all you want to do is get a like quarter pitcher night and stay up on high street and do all the things that you were never allowed to do before coming to Morgantown. 
Um, but I will say WVU is a fantastic uh, educational institution. I am better for having graduated and they've got a very robust academic uh, offering. So I don't want to make it sound like it's uh, all play and no uh, value because it truly is. Just sometimes it takes you a little longer to graduate there. That's <laughs> yeah. all. It's, I mean, different schools are challenging in different ways. Harvard is, you know, challenging in one way. And of course, WVU is challenging in another way. So I yes. get that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Something else you were talking about too. And I experienced this myself after I got out. So I went and worked at this firm, you know, working in financial services and I liked it. I liked the people that I was there with, but you know, it's just kind of like, even when you're in the military, like you go do a job for a while and you kind of plateau, right? You're like, there's, there's nowhere else for me to go from here. I could, I could kind of stay at this level or I could go take on another challenge and advance personally, professionally, however you want to talk about it. And so that's what I did, right? I talked to the guy that I was working with. I was like, Hey man, you know, I, I know you got your own thing going on. Um, I want to go a different way. And, you know, I appreciate all the help that you gave me and, and the opportunities and everything. And, you know, we're, we're still friends today. And I just, but I get that too. It's like, you don't understand. It's, I'm not saying you can't get out and go work somewhere for 20 years after you get out of the, the military. But there's people that do that. But I think more and more people are waking up to like, hey, you're limiting your potential if you just stay at one place. Absolutely. I think the, I think the 401k, piece is also afforded folks the opportunity to bounce around and and shop their skills and and not have to create that constant loyalty to grind it out like my dad did at, at general electric or it used to be borg warner but he stayed in the middle high valley at the same company for 35 years and so did my uncle with dupont so i mean they they back in those days with the pensions and things like that, they just had to grind it out. But I think today's 401ks and, and what's happening with the blended retirement system with the Navy too, people are, they have that suitcase and they can just take it and roll and go to the next place and continue to increase their skill set. Yeah. Yeah. That's really true for sure. So Natalie, for how does, how does your guys' process work there at military talent partners, as far as like somebody's getting out and they want to come work with you? Like, what does that look like? The wonderful thing about Military Talent Partners is that 50% of our revenue is dedicated to keeping all of our services free for candidates, which includes veterans, military spouses, transitioning service members, Gold Star family members that uh, can come to Military Talent Partners and get advice, consulting, mentorship, coaching. Hey, I'm getting out of the military. What should I be doing? Uh, what kind of timeline do I need to be working with? What are my next steps? Where do I begin? These are the conversations that we have every single day that we have talked with more than 10,000 veterans and service members transitioning. Um, having that kind of on-demand, personalized, we're very human-driven, we're human-powered. We don't have, we don't use a lot of fancy AI or, uh, standardized systems that kind of like plug and play MOS with uh, future potential. We create future potential holistically by saying, you know, hey, Mike, hey, Trevor, what do you wanna do next? What have you always done? And does it light you up inside? And if it doesn't, what does? And are there any gaps between what you've done in your past and what you wanna do in your future? And if there are, let's game plan how to make those happen, fill those gaps get you those certificate certifications, get you that education to make sure that when you apply, you're checking all the boxes and you're getting that interview. And oh, by the way, when you get that interview, let's talk about what you should say when you're there. And oh, that resume, my God, it's like number one question for everybody. Well, let's make it a lot simpler and here's our template to help you do it. So it's really just meeting everybody one-on-one -on -one where they are. And anyone can come to us through militarytalentpartners.com. We are also on all the social channels. So whatever is your trusted method of communication or your preference, we're going to meet you where you are. We're going to hit the ground running. The only ask is that you're committed to doing the work. 
because there's no magic pill or silver, silver bullet or a big red help button that just does it for you. You have to put in the work and you have to do it. Otherwise you run the risk of falling into the trap of something that's a shiny object or sounds really sexy and fun in the front. Uh, but once you get into it, a few months later, you, you're actually miserable and it's sucking the life out of you. And I'm pretty sure that's not what anybody dedicated their life to the service for, to get out and be miserable. Yeah. And so something Mike was just talking about there, like, you know, motivation for somebody to stay in a spot for 20 or 30 years. Um, obviously, Mike and I are both career you know, we, I, you know, I stayed in for 20 years because I loved jumping out of planes and blowing stuff up. I thought it was an awesome job and, and I really enjoyed it and got a lot of fulfillment out of it. But, you know, like he was saying, like, you know, now with like retirement planning and stuff like that, how often do you encounter somebody who maybe comes in and goes and finds something and then comes back later and says, Hey, you know, I, I thought this was for me, but it's not like, can you, is there a, still a process in place to help them? It's really the same. Like whether you are transitioning from the military in a year or a month, maybe you've had a job for a while, but you're underemployed or you're unemployed or between careers, doesn't matter. Everybody gets the same level of service depending on what you need and where you're coming from. And the thing, the key thing, and I wanted to touch on something else that you said about uh, retiring and um, and getting out. But the thing is having that initial conversation, it does a couple things. It, it kind of identifies uh, the start of the conversation. A lot of people don't really know what they need or what to ask or where to begin. So by having that conversation with an organization like us that you can trust is super important. Finding the right mentor critical. And it's not always me. It's not always us. That's why we partner with the best and brightest mentorship organizations like Veterati, like American Corporate Partners, like Elite Meet, like the Travis Banyan Foundation. So that no matter who you are or where you are or what's going on with you, we can help lead you down the right path for long-term sustainable success. The thing is, people come to us from every direction. Sometimes it's a service member who's getting medically retired. They don't know if they're getting out in 30 days or six months or longer. And sometimes people don't want to get out of the military and they're not ready to go, but they're forced to go. And so that's a really difficult situation too, because maybe jumping out of planes and blowing stuff up is probably the coolest thing you're ever going to do. And so how do you replace that? How do you replace that fulfillment and purpose and joy and adrenaline? You know, cause it's not gonna happen behind a desk somewhere. And so it's really challenging. And I think it takes a lot of empathy, very high level EQ uh, and commitment to working together to make it happen, whatever it might be. So you also do work with the veterans and their spouses as well. And it seems to me throughout my career, I've seen a lot of spouses shelve their careers for sometimes decades. So are there any key uh, skill sets or key accelerators that you guys have found to get them jump started back into their career loops that you've seen that kind of, you know, once they're, once they're service members or, or spouses are retiring now, and now they're going to be planted somewhere that you found that allow them to really get back into their workforce better or prepare them better to get back into the certifications or things like that? I think I followed that question. <laughs> well, it's just like they, these, I've seen like teachers and nurses and, you know, even like accountants and things like that, that they'll just, they'll, they'll, they'll when they meet their spouse initially, mm -hmm. they, it, it eventually that skill set goes away for quite some time and they, it goes dormant for, for sometimes years and even decades. And they, because their spouse is moving, you know, PCSing every two to three years they and sometimes you know overseas and back to the states and overseas and coast to coast it's and, and i think there's a lot of I, i've seen this where there's some bias towards employing uh spouses of service members knowing that they're only going to be there for two years so there's 
I think there's sometimes a hesitancy to invest in the in the veteran in the in the service member's spouse is known they're only going to be there for two years. So it's like, well, why would I hire you know him or her because I know they're only going to be here for a little bit. I, I'm not going to invest in them. So eh, we'll, we'll go with somebody else if if that's disclosed. So I think it disadvantages them sometimes. And I think Congress has enacted some laws to spread out the certifications more at a federal level with, I think, some of the teacher certifications, some of the nursing certifications and things like that. But I, but I think throughout the, the recent past, still, some of those spouses have shelved a lot of those career aspirations. And now, since, you know, they're, they're significant others, now, you know, they're done. They're, they've crossed that finish line at the military. Now they might be Oh, hey, now I can go. Now I can go out and do my thing now. So how do you I, I would think that would be a that'd be a tough task to help them get back out there and get back in the fight, you know, to back in the in the employment fight, because I think some of those skills would be so they'd be pretty rusty, I would think. And some of those certifications would be difficult to get to get at. Yes, the, the scenario that you're describing, absolutely challenging for so many military spouses, male, female, uh, a lot of them have, you know, masters and doctorates and years and years of experience, but any anyone that takes a gap period from, from their career will have an uphill battle of some kind. But the good news is, is there's more and more emerging resources available, especially and including mentorship for military spouses. <clears throat> and even with LinkedIn, they get a free premium job seeker account every single time they PCS. So they've got more tools and resources than ever before. However, I really think that the conversation is much more challenging and difficult on the employer side, educating employers to become more inclusive of military spouses and uh, welcoming of the value that they have is much more of a, of a battle than upskilling a male spouse or getting them into uh, the career arena that they're looking for. It's a really tough, tough bias to get past. And that's why male spouse unemployment hovers around 34% or higher at any given time. And most households within the US have to be dual income whenever possible, or you're, you're telling the poverty line, even in the military, which just seems so unbelievable, but that's the reality. So I hope that one of the blessings that comes from COVID is educating, <clears throat> excuse me, educating and acclimating corporate uh, employers to understand that remote work is highly valuable, accessible. It's a savings and benefit to their company across the board and allows military spouses to show their talent to have meaningful careers full-time, not gig work, side hustles, part-time or hourly or some kind of a contract. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but if a mill spouse wants to pursue a full-time meaningful career while supporting their service member and their family, there should be no barrier to that goal. And educating employers, becoming, making remote work more accessible and widespread is the best way to do that. But every situation, every male spouse and every company, that dynamic is unique. So it's, it's empowering male spouses to be more comfortable and confident with who they are, not feeling or coming across disadvantaged for the time they've taken off or the times they've had to PCS. It's coaching them through that process while also educating employers on a daily basis. So if somebody wants to come work with you guys, uh, is I know the answer is different for everybody. Just like if you say, hey, what's the retirement timeline? You're going to get, you know, a whole bunch of different answers. But I guess kind of in general, what's what's the best time that somebody when they're in their transition process to come to, to look you guys up, seek you guys out? Trevor, the right answer is that it's never too soon to start thinking about what's next for you. There are people I know and, and hold very dear that advocate that you should have your, your next plan in place before you even go into the military. And it makes sense because then you know, and I'll use this example, uh, just wide, widespread thinking, 
the more you know, the sooner you know it, the better and brighter everything you do is. You know better what to ask for and from whom. You know what your goals are at every stage, one year, five year, 10 or 20, doesn't matter. If you can't put a name on the destination, if you can't call out your goal to the finest detail, then how in the world will you ever get there? So the right answer is it's never too soon. At a minimum, at least a year, However, life happens. Sometimes you've got 90 days. Sometimes you got 30. Sometimes you just have been busy serving and you haven't really thought about what's next. So that's by no means to say that like, oh, give up on yourself. There's nothing to do if you didn't start a year in advance. Not at all. No matter where you are in the process, there's a path forward. And it begins by raising your hand, reaching out, asking questions, getting curious and being committed to making it work. What are, what are some of the things that you think would be obstacles to somebody as they're, they're getting out and, you know, trying to acclimate into the, to the real world, as we call it, you know, in your experience working with all these folks, what are some of the things that you've seen that have given them a lot of problems? Uh, Unrealistic expectations, right? Your rank doesn't follow you. I can see that. No one will salute you when you cross the quarter deck. Uh, the quarter deck does not exist anymore. No one's going to salute you. Your rank does not come with you. No one owes you anything. When I got out of the Navy, I was like, huh, who wouldn't want to hire me? Are you kidding? Like, I've been in the military. I'm so smart. I know it all. Um, I'm super talented. No, nobody cared. Nobody cared. I'm telling you, and and that's drastic. I mean, people care, of course. And there's a more accepting, diverse culture for military talent now than there has ever been. But assuming that you've got it made in the shade and you're at the top of your game and who wouldn't want to hire you, you are fooling yourself. It is highly competitive. It doesn't matter if it's 1% or 20% unemployment rate. It is cutthroat. It It is a war on talent. And it's highly competitive. And no matter how shiny and special you think you are at something, there's a thousand other people just as shiny and special. So it's really important to realize your potential, find your purpose and connect the two so that your unique value proposition leads the conversation and not feeling entitled or promise anything. And, and, you know, like you've received a certain rank and you've just smooth sailing forever. It just doesn't work like that. You're going to be transitioning into a culture of people who may not have had any military exposure ever. They don't understand nearly half of what you're talking about. So you have to really learn how to acclimate in that way so that not only you understand yourself, but everybody else does too. I know Mike, I'll let Mike talk to that a little bit more because, you know, his last job, he you know, had talked about thing before in another episode about what a culture shock that was for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, Mike's I, a man master chief, right? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. You don't get any higher than that on the food chain. And so I can't imagine being a CMC coming out, you know, putting on a suit and tie and, you know, going for some maybe director role at Deloitte or whatever, right? Because you're like, I am not only a master chief in the United States Navy, I'm a command master chief. So you're the guy, right? Aside from the captain, you're the guy. Well, I got a dose of reality when I applied for the defense legislative fellowship back in 2018. And somehow I got picked for it and served up in Congress for a year. And the reason I did it, I printed out the message and then I didn't know it was open for enlisted and it was, and it was, it was open for E79 and I printed it out and I thought, well, I'm going to put it out to the chief's mess. It'd be pretty cool for somebody to go do this. And the more I looked at the message, the more I thought, well, I'm, I'm selling a used car that I've never driven before. Cause I don't know anybody that's ever done this. And I thought, well, this looks like a really cool opportunity. And then my timing to go to the next assignment wasn't lining up. So I had a year and I thought, well, I always say, you know, you need to stay uncomfortable to continue to grow as a person professionally, 
and personally try to seek, you know, try to stay uncomfortable, you know, that way, you know, you're, you're at least growing. And I thought, man, I never, ever, ever wanted to wear a suit and tie ever. That just looks like the most uncomfortable thing ever. I hate going to weddings, you know, wearing a suit and tie to a funeral. Obviously funerals are uncomfortable to begin with, but then I have to wear a suit and tie. That's terrible. Uh, so, and I always wore my uniform to most of them anyway. So, but the thought of wearing a suit and tie, terrible. So then I thought, heck with it. I just, I have to either put up or shut up. So I did, I applied for it. Somehow I got selected. I was the only enlisted guy in this, this class of 2019 to go up on Capitol Hill. And I had to wear a suit and tie for a year. Well, in all honesty, the suit and tie is actually more comfortable than the uniform, especially the camouflage uniform. I never thought I'd ever say that, but it is. The other thing is I was super, super intimidated by the corporate world. I never, ever thought I could ever, I had resigned myself before I went up to Capitol Hill to working in the government sector or the defense somewhere very close within the defense sector because I knew how to speak defense or especially EOD special operations somewhere around there because that's where I was comfortable. And by going up there and meeting folks in the corporate world, now a lot of more defense, mind you, but not all of them were, but I was meeting with C-suite folks, program managers, project managers, all kinds of representation from the corporate sector, nonprofits. And you, you kind of, after you start meeting around the round table and the conference table with those folks and listening to their issues and understanding this, the speak that's going on, it wasn't so intimidating anymore. And I started thinking, you know what? I think I could kind of hang here. It's not, I don't want to No, Don't get me wrong. Hats off to you folks who are CEOs. And I don't really have the aspirations to put in the 90 hour work weeks or hundred hour work weeks anymore. Cause I've done those for, you know, for years and years, but that and I, I don't think that's my interest for the next career path, but especially a fortune 500, but it's not as intimidating anymore. And I think just gaining that level of confidence, having been up there, that, that was a great opportunity and it was, it was great to gain that experience. But, but I had, had I not done that, I, I can, I can imagine the folks who have not done that, that has to be very intimidating and, and, and going out and taking that step off the air, you know, the ramp of the aircraft and, and looking at that abyss of the unknown is, is, is very intimidating. It is. And that intimidation factor, uh, you know, maybe even feeling a little imposter syndrome is enough to make someone feel like they never want to speak up about how they feel. Um, you know, I, I met Trevor first through Elite Meet and a lot of the special uh, operations guys and girls, you know, I work with them before they go to events. And I said, okay, I have a lot to say, a lot to get through. Do you guys want to go through it together and I'll field your questions one by one? Or do you guys want to do one-on-one private sessions? Every single one wanted to do a private session. Nobody wants to be the guy to raise their hand and be like, I'm scared. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do next. And I personally, I get that so much because that is, it's the most vulnerable thing in the world. When you don't know what's next, you literally don't know. It's like trying to egress out of a dark closet. You have no idea what's on the other side, right? Um, it's scary, but my take on imposter syndrome, first of all, we're afraid of what we don't know, or we're anxious about what we don't know. And we put people and things on pedestals where they, they never had any business in the first place. But also with imposter syndrome, if, if what you're going to do next doesn't scare you a little bit, and you're not concerned about it or anxious at all, it's probably not big enough for you. It's probably not enough. If you feel immediately like this is what I want, I rise to the occasion. I am on top of my game. I mean, you might, it might, you might be Michael Jordan in game six. I think that's like the only, you know, uh, direct correlation. Everybody else has felt that fear. And when you realize that you're no different and there's nothing wrong with you for the way that you feel, then you're okay to take the deep dive. But unfortunately, that feeling is enough to scare people from taking command of their own transition. I think definitely part of that 
also is your attitude. Like, are you just, are you going to shy away from it because it's, it's difficult or are you ready to meet it head on? Like, so that when Mike was talking about the thing and I'll ask him to tell it here in a second, he has a really good story about, um, you know, that when you were talking about like, Hey, when you get out, you know, you, your rank doesn't come with you, but, uh, the, the coffee story from the interview, I'll let him tell that because I think that speaks volumes to his character, right? He's like, Hey, I'll, what do you need me to do? I'll do it. Right. So I'll let Mike go ahead and tell the story real quick, but I think it's awesome. The coffee story from the interview, which one, you know, where they said, Hey, you're going to have to work for, you know, young people. Oh, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> so my, my interview for the fellowship, I had to go to the Pentagon. I've never been to the Pentagon and this is 20, 27 years in the Navy at this time, I think. Never been to the Pentagon. Thankfully, one of my former CEOs when I was a CMC at EUD Mobile Unit 6 was stationed up there. So I stayed at his house the night before, followed him into the Pentagon. And it was it was like take your old CMC to the Pentagon day, field day. You know, so I follow him up to the Pentagon, go through the the visitor's metal detector. He takes me up into his office. We're there at like seven in the morning. My interview isn't until two in the afternoon. And so I'm, I'm up, up in his office, like, like, like I'm his kid. And it was, uh, it, it was pretty funny. And so I'm, I'm sitting in the interview and there's, there's everybody's in suits and I'm in, I'm in my uniform and we, we go around, we go around the room and we're getting asked different questions. And there's, there's a lot of, some, some of them are apolitical questions. Like, you know, if you're asked to do something that's against your morals, you know, what are you going to do? You know, and I, one of my answers, you know, I said, you know, I, I don't necessarily believe in, you know, killing people either, but I, you know, if you were, if I was ever tasked to do it, like in combat, I mean, you have to do what you have to do. Just if I was asked to write an article that was contrary to my beliefs for my Senator, or my Congressman, I would, author it like you know like a stephen king novel or whatever you know i would do the best that i could and it, it, i was trying to be a little bit funny but and, and it came across a little bit humorous to some folks but this one guy at the end he he didn't really like some of my some of my answers and he he he'd had a rhinoplasty or something or i don't know what it was but he had a bandage over his nose and he, he, he really was kind of mean mugging me the whole time. And everybody else was pretty jovial and they were all laughing except for this guy to the far left of me at the table. And it got around to him and he said, his question was, well, you know, you like, you, you're obviously, you're an EOD guy and you, you really like adrenaline, you know, and I just don't think, you know, this is going to be something really for you. You know, you're, you're going to have to take, orders and and you're 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 going to work for folks who are you know 21 22 23 years old you know how, how are you going to be able to to really come to grips with that you're a command master chief you've been in eod you've been doing all this other stuff and you're gonna to have to sit in an office and you know these these 21 year old 22 year old civilians are going to be telling you what to do how are you going to do that and i could have gone with the easy answer of you know i'm a, I'm a master chief I'm outranked by ensigns that graduated the academy last week. That was the easy answer. But I said, you know, I have a, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old daughter, and they boss me around all the time. So 21, 22-year-old, that's that's nothing. That's easy for me. This smooth sailing. Okay, everybody else laughed, and and this guy didn't find my answer funny at all. But, uh, yeah, it, it was no problem. That is so funny. And also that's a super inappropriate question that he should have never even asked you. That's so, so ageist and not okay. So that's a part of like this process too. Every service member transitioning and veteran and middle spouse and human that's in an interview should know what the barrier is for that, right? Because of course it's on people's minds. You have hiring managers that say, I want a young 22-year-old that just graduated college, blank slate, could do whatever I want with them and pay them little, right? Uh, so that does happen. Of course it does. 
but to say it out loud and to interview someone and say, oh, how are you going to handle these younger people? Well, that's it's just inappropriate. They're, they're, it just, it's just as bad as, is, you know, assuming what you've done or not done in combat or on deployment and asking direct questions like that. That's super inappropriate. And, you know, kudos to you for handling it so gracefully. Well, another great life lesson that I learned also from that same individual uh, really has it's this is a complete tangent but i think it's a good lesson to learn also going through the indoc they, we had to go through about six four to six weeks of indoctrination and the guy would sit beside of me and never say anything to me and i thought man this guy just absolutely hates me and he would say things to other folks in there but would sit beside of me and never even so much as look at me in the in the eye and i thought man what did i do to this guy and, and it was probably three or four months later, we're in one of the, like a, a conference room or a committee room in one of the Senate buildings and the secretary of the Navy had been over there and it, it was, I can't remember what, I don't know if it was what we were, what we were over there for, but it's usually in celebration of like the battle of Midway or something like, it was like something like that. Battle of Midway, I'll go with that. But Secretary of Navy was over there and the CNO was over there. So a lot of the Navy congregating over there. And and he was he was part of the legislative affairs folks. And, and so he's over there. And I got over there a little bit late because I was working on something in the office, but I went over there to socialize. And there's a lot of, a lot of socializing, especially during the later hours of the of the workday, five, six o'clock. That's when a lot of the socials happen. So we're over there. I got over there late, like I said. The C, the uh, CNO and the, the Secretary of the Navy had just left. And the of course, the crowd's starting to thin out. The senators are gone. And I walk in there, and the guy that I work for, he's in there. One of the, the folks from the Navy office downstairs is in there. And then this guy. And they're all sitting there talking. And, and, it's, and it's thinned out. And I walk in the room, and I'm like, Oh my God, I couldn't turn around and walk away fast enough. And the, and the guy that I work for is like, you know, waves me over and I'm like, Oh, no way. And I had to go over there and, and socialize. And the guy, the Navy guy from downstairs is like, Oh, Hey, introduces me to the guy that I think absolutely cannot stand me. And he's like, Hey, do you know, do you know, Master Chief Riggs? And he's like, Yeah. I sure do. I was on his interview and I'm like, Oh God, here we go. He's like, Oh really? I'll bet you that was a good interview. And I was like, I was just waiting for this guy to slam me right in front of the guy that I work for and everything. The guy says, yeah, actually it was, I've been interviewing folks for like several years and that's the best interview we've ever had. And you know, here I am in my mind thinking, you know, bad things about this person for, for months. And had I not ever had dialogue with this person, I never would have, you know, it's the judge the book by its cover type of thing. Mm -hmm. this, this guy, I totally assumed completely the wrong, the wrong message from this guy. And here he's like, Oh yeah, he, he, this was, that interview was great. And he, he thought highly of me, but yet he would never talk with, talk to me or, or, or say anything to me. And I, I I never understood that, but had I never approached him and we had that little discussion that day, we never would have, never would have got that, uh, never would have bridged that gap there, but. Very cool. What a great story. I, I've never, <laughs> I basically got out and started working for myself. So I don't, <laughs> when people ask me about interviews, I'm like, I don't know. My first interview was like, Hey, you should come work with me. Okay. And then my other one was, hey, do you need people to come work with you? All right, I'll come over. And uh, so. <laughs> Lucky my, you. Mine's, well, mine's just a little, yeah, I was just kind of like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be dictated to when, <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. So it's worked out so far. Well, my last interview before that was uh, Vienna Foodland in 1987. So, yeah, it, it was a little rusty. <laughs> Yeah. 
Well, I know, uh, you know, we're, we're getting close on time here, but b- before we hop off here, I want to just ask you a couple other questions as far as, you know, in general, like advice that you might have, like, what are some things that you see um, where people could maybe improve upon, like in the military transition process, as far as like themselves? Really ha- starting to get curious, right? Understand what your next identity will become as a veteran, as a professional. Mm-hmm. What is it that you'll do? Because it's a blank canvas that only you can decide on what goes on that canvas. And so when you start to visualize that and you can see your goal, you can speak about it, you can understand it and articulate it. Now you, now you have a path. Now you have started and you, you can reach out to people and network effectively. You can learn how to network effectively. You can make sure you're talking to the right people in the right places. You can start collecting job descriptions that fit something you'd love to do. Taking you know three or four of those and meshing them together, really answering the questions of what the requirements are in your resume. So you're shaping your identity, you're speaking about it, you're understanding your why and your purpose behind it, um, honing your interview skills, it's sharpening your sword at every turn. So starting soon, starting never too early to start, getting really curious and committing to what your next identity will be. Even if it's like, I don't know, I kind of want to do two or three things, that's fine too. Make two or three different identities and try them all on and uh, keep going until it feels right. So it's not a big deal if you have to make two or three different variations, you just have to commit. You can't, it's not, you can, but it's not really great. If you, if you start out and you're like, I want to go into finance and you do everything you can to just pull out all the stops to be a killer in the finance world and super desirable as a candidate. And you're like, Oh, you know what? screw finance. I want to do business development. And then you get really hungry on that path. And what you're going to be doing is just reinventing the wheel over and over and over, trying to make it get you to the right place. So it's so important to be very sure of what you want to do and why, so you can commit to that identity and go and get it for yourself. Yeah. I, I mean, for me, I feel like a lab puppy that was on the leash for so long and somebody just let me off and opened up the front door and I'm running around and I really don't know, you know, yeah. it's like, Oh, wow, I could do all this and I can do that. And I can do this and I can do that. And it's like, I, I didn't know all this was out here. This is really cool. Exactly. And it's like, just because you can, you know, do all, all these things, it doesn't mean you should. And if you don't know it's down the road or three blocks away and you're this dog that was just let out the front door without a leash, I mean, holy shit, watch for traffic, make sure the dog snatcher doesn't come up and snatch you up. I mean, there's a, just a million pitfalls that are just waiting for you. So by commanding that outcome before the outcome gets you, you're so far ahead of the game. Yes. Absolutely agree. Cause that's, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you know, who knows, like you could, I, I've talked to people before that got out and, you know, worked in financial services, which that's, that's one that a lot of people like to try and end up, you know, not doing it because it's, I mean, it's hard. Like 95% of the people who get into this profession don't make it past their second year. Um, but that's okay to, to get out and, and figure out like, okay, yeah, I figured this, this wasn't for me. Um, you just don't know. There's so much stuff out there and, and you've kind of been pigeonholed into this, this one thing for so long. Um, I, I kind of liked your, you know, the, the puppy going out in the yard analogy, but what, the, if somebody wants to find you and, and work with you guys, what's the best place they can look? Militarytalentpartners.com. You can sign up. There's a form on the bottom of every page that you visit. Uh, tell us how we can help. Either you're a business that wants to hire military talent or you're a service member, veteran, spouse, or family member, and you need mentorship or career guidance. You need help. We have an online career transition cohort. It's a six-week program available all online and it's free through scholarship. So whatever you need, we're able to deliver, even if it's just more information or pointing you in the right direction. There's no ask too big or too small because we meet you where you are holistically and we walk through it together. Awesome. And I saw you just uh, opened up an office in DC. I am super fortunate to be a member of veteran in residence through Bunker Labs. 
they have a partnership with WeWork where you're given a free office space. And uh, I'm super happy to be a part of it. Although I'm from West Virginia, I'm in DC at least once or twice a month. And now more so because I have office space. And uh, it was a very competitive application process. There were more than there are more than 30 applicants that made it to the final round and they, they chose eight. And so I'm super grateful to be involved and just to have free space in DuPont Circle and to be in that, that WeWork uh, complex is just such a gift. So yes, we, we love to meet in person whenever possible, but we're definitely virtual and serving nationwide. That's awesome. Well, I, I'm glad that you guys are out there doing that. I mean, that's, that's stuff that people definitely need to, to know about and um, you know, we look forward to your continued success here in the future. So Mike, you got anything? No, it was great talking to you. And I think you guys are doing, you're setting folks up for success, taking away that anxiety, showing, you know, pointing them in the right direction. I, that's, that's where I'm at right now. I'm, I'm a guinea pig in this whole experiment, you know, and it's great to know that folks like you are out there, you know, guiding folks on that path. It's, it's, it's comforting and, you know, not all, I'm fortunate enough to have honor foundation and commit, you know, but it's not, it's not open for everyone. And it's great to know that there's folks like you out there that offer those services to help guide the rest of the folks out there that set them up for success. Cause I think, you know, the, the why for our podcast is, you know, to get deeper into setting folks up for, you know, the next step, you know, to get the vet and, what you're doing is definitely getting them there. So, and, and, and networking with you is, is setting them up for that. So thank you. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. Hey guys, Natalie Oliverio with military talent partners. Uh, check out her website at militarytalentpartners.com. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me guys. All right. Take care everyone. Thank you for listening to the get to vet podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and follow us on LinkedIn. If you'd like to come on the show, email us at Mike or Trevor at gettovet.net. That's get the number two vet.net and let us help you get to vet.